Well, it is great to see all of you today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're so glad you're here. We've been in this building right here about five years. It's the first of two phases, at least two phases during my time anyways. And uh, we're about to start the second phase. Really, we've already started. And some of you may have heard, you're fairly new to our church. You may have heard us talk about things like Impact or Phase 2. Impact is the capital campaign we have uh, going on. It began back in 2021 in October. We made a commitment of, I think, what, $1.2 million, a little over that, and not even quite halfway through the campaign. We have about $877,000. So that's pretty good. Now, if you're fairly new, if you started coming since October of 21, you may not know about our vision. You may not know about what we're trying to accomplish. So we're going to do a couple of things in February. We're going to have two vision meetings that you're welcome to attend. Any of you can come. If you're a guest, it doesn't matter. You can come. One is on February 24th or Friday. One is on the 27th or Monday. Uh, they both start about 6 o'clock. That's about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And we'll just share our vision with you. Now, if you started coming in the last year and a half or so and we got information, we'll probably send you a card or a phone call. But there'll be more info coming. Just know you're invited. Now, today, uh, begins or ends, I should say, a series we started the first of the year entitled Collision. And uh, Collision is, is just really, it's, it's a kind of a doctrinal series. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed doing this. It's, it's, it's been helpful to me as the pastor going through this stuff. Um, we, live, we live as Christians. If you follow Christ, we live in a collision with the culture around us. We just do. And trying to understand how, not, not picking on the culture, we're not attacking the culture, that's not what I do, but how do I, as a follower of Jesus, make that work? And so we've asked kind of a question, it's this, how does a follower of Jesus honor God, grow in faith, and reach people for Jesus in a collision with the culture that's hostile to Jesus? I mean, how am I going to do the things Jesus wants me to do if I'm constantly battling the culture? And that's been the whole kind of purpose of this series, is to try to understand that. And uh, last week, I gave you, I think, the message that really helps answer the question. It's called forever faith. It ultimately it boils down to faith, and we talked about all that. But today's message is designed to help you and encourage you in that struggle, knowing the struggle you've got. And so today's message is what really our faith is all about. We follow Jesus. And uh, it's, it's a theme that I talk about constantly. Christianity is not complicated. And Christianity is not complex. It's very simple. We make it complex and complicated. But what Christianity and being simple can still be hard. It can still be difficult. And so there's one thing that I try to stress constantly. And, I, and, and what is the focus of this message has been the focus of many other messages. Because it's this important. Christians follow Jesus. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. We follow Jesus. With that in mind, I want to talk about following Jesus when others don't. And what I want to do to begin this message is, I've talked a lot in the book of Hebrews where we are about what they were dealing with. And for a moment, I just want you to go back 1,958 years to about 65 A.D., and you're in the city of Rome, and you're Jewish. You're Jewish. You're, and and you're, whatever your situation in life, you're the same age, you're Jewish. And for the guys, understand that if you're in Rome and you're Jewish, you got married when you were, you know, 17, 18 years old probably. You're in the same business your daddy was in and your granddaddy is in. Probably your uncles and your brothers. You're in the family business. You live in a part of Rome and there are numerous parts that's primarily Jewish. You have a synagogue you attend. It's your life. Most of your business contacts are probably Jewish. You may deal with Gentiles in a business sense. You grew up being taught the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. You're looking forward to a Messiah. 
to a guy who's going to come and who's going to reestablish the greatness of Israel. And you're going to throw off this immoral, godless, pagan Roman empire and throw out this godless, pagan emperor named Nero and rule forever. And you long for that day. And at some point along the way, you encounter someone who is called Jesus. Someone you know is his follower of the way of Jesus. And you begin to realize that Jesus is the Messiah you've longed and wanted for. And so you make the decision to give your life to Jesus. And in doing that, you bring your wife with you, and you bring your children with you, and your life is radically changed. And you become a part of this small house church of about 12 or so people, adults in it. That's part of a much bigger movement, but that's your church. And so you go to your family. You're so excited. You say, my mom, dad, dad, guess what? Uncle, guess what? Brothers, I found the Messiah. I found Jesus. And they're shocked. Because the one thing they know is that the Jews have rejected Jesus. And they disown you. And they cut you out of the business. And they have a funeral marking you're dead to them. Your wife can't go talk to her family or any of her friends. Your children have lost all contact with friends and cousins. You're kicked out of the synagogue. You lose everything. Some of your friends come and take you out to talk to you. But really when it's over, they beat you and whip you trying to knock some sense into you. You end up losing your business and your house. You can't really deal with the Gentile world because they're pagans. So you have just a group of people you barely know you can associate with. And this has become your life. Ladies, maybe you're the wife of that man. Now, understand, you don't have your own business. You don't work outside the home. Your life is connected to your husband. And when your husband gets cut off, you get cut off. You get cut off from your family, from everything you know. Maybe... What really happened is that you were the one that made the profession. You're the one that gave your life to follow Jesus, not your husband. And when you tell your husband this, he's furious with you, so he puts you out and divorces you. And you have no contact with your children, none. You cannot go home to your parents because they've disowned you. And you have to go instead to one of these new families you've met who follow Jesus and hope and pray that that little group of believers will help you somehow. And along the way, you begin to think, I don't know if it's worth it. Why am I following Jesus? Nero was starting to kill Christians. I don't want to die. Maybe I should just go back to my Jewish roots. Maybe I should go back home to the covenant and follow the law. And you're thinking about that, and you're sitting in your little group one night. And someone, the elder, stands up and says, we got a letter. That was written to all of us, and we got a copy of it. Let me read it to you. The letter begins, in the past, God spoke in many different portions and ways to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And as you listen to the letter, you realize that the guy who wrote it was speaking straight to you. If you walk away from Jesus, you've got nothing. You want to go back to the old covenant? Jesus replaced the old covenant. It's dead. It's obsolete. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the law. He's superior to everything you could find. If you go back to that old way, you've lost everything. Keep your faith and follow Jesus. Now, here you are today in a culture that really doesn't like Jesus. Moral relativism, which as I've said from the outset, is really the philosophy behind it all, that you just be you. 
You can do anything you want. There's no moral authority that tells you how to live your life. I get that. I like that. And I grew up in the 70s. We thought that way. That was the beginning of moral relativism. 70s were so great. Oh, man, the music. Oh, the music. Some of you, I was in the store the other day. I saw this Harry Styles. That's a Harry Styles. He had Led Zeppelin, man. <laughs> Stairway to heaven. We're in church. I'll just elevate that up a little bit. See the problem with moral relativism? It makes some of you think your music is as good as my music. And it ain't, baby. <laughs> and the way we dress, oh, I think about the way we dress. I still think about the way we dress. Oh, awesome. I had the jeans, man. You know the jeans that you wear and they flare down at the bottom? <laughs> Dingo boots. <laughs> Silk shirt. Button down, about two or three buttons. <laughs> chains. Hey, listen. Going through my wife's stuff the other day, she kept some of those chains. Right here, I got one. Right here. You just do this. <laughs> Pretend this shirt is silk. And there's no undershirt. And you understand that this chain broke her will to resist any more than it already was. <laughs> Let me get dressed real quick so I can get this back where it needs to be. And we had a seven, saying in the 70s. The saying was, go for it. That was, that was in my, my high school. Man, just, just, just go for it. And, you know, no matter what, just do your own thing, man. And so, hey, someone's thinking, I'm thinking about asking so-and-so out, man. But I don't know. I got, let's go for it. Let's go for it, man. Hey, 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 hey. Why don't we cut chemistry? We're failing anyways. <laughs> let's go down to Gaddy's and grab some pizza. What do you think, man? Let's go for it. Let me tell you something. This is on a statement. Not once in my life, I took chemistry like four times. Not once in my life have I ever used chemistry. I have a long-term relationship with pizza. <laughs> go for it. You know, I, I get it. It's living your own life. I hate being told what to do. I love, one of the things I love about being Baptist is there's no, there's no denominational hack sitting behind a desk somewhere and knows a third of what I know trying to tell me how to pastor this church. The problem with doing your own thing is eventually it clashes with other people doing their own thing. It just won't work. I mean, if I own a company and I want to make a lot of money and you come to work for me but you want to set your own hours and work whenever you think, it's not going to work. And you're going to be out of work. If I get married and, and I'm just in love and I want to spend the rest of my life just one person, you know, faithful, loving someone, but their spouse and I marry, and they want to fool around, eventually it's not going to work. It's just going to everything gets torn apart. And then there's Jesus. Moral relativism just won't work with Jesus. Now, the culture we know in, and we live in and understands that 70% of all people, like I told you last week, somehow connect to Jesus. About half the people have a church. And so if you want to find a way to get inroads into them, you're going to have to take the language and the beliefs of the Christian faith and adopt it and spin it around and give it back to them. Say, you know what? You and I believe the same thing. And there are Christians in their old churches that buy into this mess that the culture and we are the same. And while we should always engage the culture, what they want to do is open their arms and embrace it. It won't work. If you follow Jesus and you live in this culture, you might think, it'd be so much easier if I just went along with it all. 
and still say, I follow Jesus, but you can't. Understand this. It can be difficult to follow Jesus when others don't. But that is the history of following Jesus. We follow him no matter how hard it is when other people do not. Which brings us then back to Hebrews. So last week I talked to you about the great people of faith from the days of the Old Testament. They didn't have Jesus. They had the only revelation they had is what God gave them, and it was incomplete. It was progressive. But they believed as much as they could. They had enough faith. They had faith in the promise of God, anticipating the coming of Jesus who they didn't know who he was. But they had unbelievable faith, and they suffered so much. At the end of chapter 10, I'm going to read you to what it says. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I think it's just so good. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. But not only that, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their forever faith. And yet none of them received all that God had promised Yet, for God had something better in mind for us, so they would not reach perfection without us. What was better? Jesus. They had a faith that looked forward in anticipation to Jesus. So now we come to chapter 12. Please understand as we come to this chapter, these first three verses, this is a metaphor that we're going to see. This is not a picture of heaven. I heard preachers say, here's a picture of heaven. No, it's not. People are not up in heaven looking down upon us, seeing what we're doing, cheering us on. This is a metaphor. So understand it. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, therefore, in light of what I said to you in the previous part about faith, the word witness, and the witnesses is such a critical word. It's the Greek word martyros. We get our word martyr from it. Eventually, Christians were identified many times as martyrs because when they were being put to death, they got an opportunity to recant of their faith. And instead of doing that, they would proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in a witnessing of Jesus, then they would be put to death. Acts 1.8 says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. A witness is not someone who's observing. Like I go to a baseball game or a football game and observe something. A witness is one who shares what they have known or experienced. We have this huge cloud, this massive group surrounding us of people who went before us. Those folks of the Old Testament who died and who suffered for a faith not even like ours yet. Anticipating Jesus. With that in mind, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. The encumbrance would be the weight. In an athletic contest back then, if you were going to run the race, you put off all, they would take off everything they had because uh, all of it encumbered them. 
the weight, the sins that entangle you and snare you. If you, back then, they wore robes. You couldn't run in a robe, but it, it entangled you. So this means, the author's saying, get rid of everything that weighs you down in this culture, everything about this culture that causes you to sin. Lay it all aside, just like they did. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. The word endurance can be used a couple other times. It's perseverance. Let us run the race. Our Lord has set a race before us. Run the race to the very end. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The word fixing just means to stare at. Weddings are cool things. We got some, I know we got a lot of weddings coming up. In the wedding, the wedding is all about the bride. I, I, guys, let me tell you, all you young guys, you single guys, I got a couple here, a few others around here. It's not your wedding. It's your marriage. It's her wedding. I made that mistake. I thought I had some input. When it came time for the tuxedos, I had one simple request. I said, I like to wear tails. She said, it's not a formal wedding. You're not wearing tails. I said, yeah, but <laughs> those two words should have come out of my mouth. Yeah, but what? I said, you tell me where to go and when to show up and what to wear. I'll be there. I learned that. I'm so thankful that I look good in pink. It really helped. <laughs> I do. Ask the ladies at Golden Mesa Retirement Home. Anyways, in that wedding, there comes the, the most important parts early when she walks down the aisle. Everybody stands and everybody looks at the bride. That's her one moment, her one moment in life. For some of you, maybe it's one of two or three. But anyways, that's the one moment. <laughs> and you're fixed on her. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. The word author means the, the one who originated. It's the, it's the initiator. He initiates our faith. It's not, actually, the word faith has a, a, a V. It should have a V in front of it, but it could. But it's the faith that we have. He is to perfect. The word perfect means to be to his completion. Not just that it ends, but it's to where it needs to be. Everything about our faith, from where it began to what it should be. He is the one that sources that. And notice, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. It wasn't the joy of the cross. Some think it was the joy of, of fulfilling the Lord's or Father's will or the joy of being back in heaven. It, probably all that. It's the joy of completing the task of salvation, the joy of doing what God had called him to do. He endured, that word again, endured the cross. He despised the shame. The cross was a shameful way of dying. It was a, it was a humiliating way. He looked with disgust upon that humiliation, willing to give his life for us. And now he's at the right hand of the throne of God. You're thinking about going away to the culture, going back to that old way, Think about all those who died before you in faith, suffering and struggling to the end. Think about the Lord himself who gave himself for you. Why would you not finish the race just like them that's been laid before you? For consider him who has endured such hostilities by sinners himself. Look at all that Christ endured. Even to this day, people mock him. 
say disgusting things about Jesus, ridicule him, all that hostility, so that, or with the purpose that, you will not grow weary and lose heart. I know you're struggling. I, I know it's hard. But think of all that Christ did for you. And part of the reason he did all of that is so that you won't grow weary. The word heart is the word soul. So you won't give it up and be soulless without him. As we come to the conclusion of our series, I want to bring it all together and just share a few things with you. But what I want you to realize when it comes to Jesus and what, what he teaches and what he drives home to us is that no matter how hard it is, when all is said and done, Christians never stop following Jesus. Do you understand that? How do I know I'm a Christian? I've never stopped following Jesus. How do I know you're a Christian? Have you ever stopped following Jesus? It's what happens. It's who we are. So, with that in mind, following Jesus in a culture that doesn't. We are followers of him. He says, come follow me. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's the resurrection of life. He who believes and will live, will live even though he dies. He who lives and believes will never die. Do you believe this? He says, you know, I want you to love your enemies. I know it's hard. Love them. He says, I want you to go to the world that hates you and despises you, and I want you to make disciples of all of them. Love God, love others. This is to call upon your life. How do you do all of this? So I'm going to share with you four things, very simple things, to help you follow Jesus. The first, be fluent in Jesus. I've said this every week. Be fluent in Jesus. You know why I say every week? Because it's really, really important. I'm not going to say it again for a while. It's kind of like a parent. It's the last time I'm saying this until I say it again. <laughs> Our faith is following Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So here's what you need to do. Be fluent in Jesus. Read the Gospels. Don't raise your hand. Have you started reading all the Gospels like I asked you? Just read the Gospels. I'm reading, I'm in the middle of Ezekiel. Okay, read Ezekiel. That's going to take you three months to finish that. Because you fall asleep halfway through every chapter. So why don't you, before you fall asleep, just read the Gospels. Read Acts. Acts is the early church sharing Jesus with people. Read all those letters in there. Because they tell us how we formulate and structure our faith. What did the author say? Fixing your eyes upon him. Consider him. How do you fix your eyes and consider if you're not fluent in Jesus? Second, let your faith flourish. We, we talk a lot here about helping you grow in your faith. Let your faith just flourish. And there's ways here. We want to help you do that here. And we talk about things like worship, serve, decide, and connect. We want you to worship. We really do. Be involved in worshiping. Even many of you are regular attenders here. I praise God, I love that. I know, I know what numbers tell us that uh, about the average church member attends a worship service about a little bit less than twice a month. That's right. I think life's busy, I get that. Which means in a 52 Sunday month, there's 53 this year. That's about 23, 24 times. Try to attend just a little bit more. 
You need to be with other believers. Secondly, you need to find a place to serve. We so want you to serve here. In a minute, Joel will talk about serving. Now, I have full disclosure. I have to make, some of you know, at the 830 service, I made a faux pas. This was the point of the service that I made it. So I'm just going to admit what I said, get it over with. It'll haunt me the rest of my life, I know. I was talking about places to serve, and I said you can serve in the cafe. Now, my mind works faster than my mouth, and I'm thinking and moving pretty quick. And what I thought off the cuff to say that might be a touch humorous was that you go their deepest, darkest secrets to people at the cafe. You know whether they like almond milk or whether they like real milk like average humans. <laughs> I did not say that. I wanted to say that. In the half a split second I thought of what to say, that was what I thought. But my mouth had to keep up with my brain who has gone to the next point. So what I said to people, some of whom are old enough to be my parents, is you'll know their deepest, darkest secrets, like whether they like almond milk or human milk. It's out there. It's already been shared. I hadn't walked out 8.30. I got people coming up to me, weren't in the service, laughing. <laughs> so it's this what I said. So we'll just find you a place to serve, and maybe in the parking lot or open the door or something like that. But you need to serve. You got to find ways to serve the Lord. And, and, and here's the other thing. You need to be in a group, a small group, a connect We call them connect groups. It's like those old house churches. You're just connected to people. Uh, a month from today, this Sunday night, the February 26th, we'll have our connect night. We help kind of organize new small groups. You need to be a part of that. That's how your faith will flourish when you're connected with other believers. The third thing is you need to ask yourself a simple question. What honors God? I mean, you, you really want to follow Jesus in this culture. What honors God? I mean, the culture will tell you, oh, you can do this and you can do that. They'll tell you all these different things you can do. No, 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 no. It's too often, they want to tell you things that honors God, but deep down, you know, that doesn't honor. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right because it's not right. The best way to know what honors God is to be fluent in Jesus <laughs> and to let your faith flourish. That's the best way. But at the end of the day, you've got to understand what it is that pleases God and what doesn't. And you can't do what doesn't honor him. My greatest fear, I've said this before. My greatest fear is that I'll do something to dishonor God. Every, I, mean, I came in here this morning, 640, right here. I sat and I prayed, God, whatever else happens, I want you to be honored. Before that 830 service, about half a dozen times, I just prayed, God, I, need you to be, I want you to be glorified. And before I walked up here, I said, God, just whatever happens. Because the greatest passion in my life is to honor God. Because I follow Jesus. And the fourth thing is this. People need the authentic and authoritative Jesus. That's who they need. The world doesn't offer that. Oh, I know the world tries to give them Jesus. 
But like I said before, they take, they take Jesus and they spin him around and shoot him out and be something else. No, 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 no. The authentic, authoritative Jesus. Who knows that Jesus? We do. Fathers of Jesus know the authentic, authoritative Jesus. The world doesn't know. And it's getting to the point where a lot of churches doesn't know him either. I mean, I, I, we're, we're a couple months from Easter. I know what's going to happen Easter Sunday. There'll be churches in this town who, when they talk about their resurrection, they will say, the resurrection doesn't have to be real to be meaningful. It doesn't matter if Jesus really rose from the dead. What's important is the significance in your life. That's not authentic. That's not authoritative. That's a fraud. If you will take these four things that come to come together, be fluent in Jesus, flourish in your faith, honor God, and be had, make sure people understand the authentic and authoritative Jesus, you, my friend, will know for sure you follow Jesus forever. So how does someone who follows Jesus in a culture that is so hostile, how do we honor God? How do we grow in our faith? How do we reach people? I shared with you that the first three messages that we live in a culture that denies moral authority, denies the authority of God. I shared that we live in a culture that seeks syncretism to take different religions and combine them and just move away from the Christian faith. I said that you live in the danger of, if you're not careful, of missing the opportunity to follow Jesus. The solution I shared with you last week is faith, forever faith. And today I share with you the encouragement of knowing that forever faith allows you to follow Jesus no matter what happens. Christians follow Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Do you follow Jesus? Do you have forever faith? Or have you embraced the culture that's hostile to Christ? In a moment, a few of us will be up here. And if you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, we want to give you that opportunity to trust Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, but you know you haven't been following him the way that you should, maybe it's time for you to pray and renew that relationship and ask him to help you from this point forward get to where you need to get to. If you want us to pray for someone, we will. If you want to join our church, we'll do that. We'll help you do that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing you've got to see. As this series comes to a close, you're about to walk out the doors into that culture. Be sure, be sure. You follow Jesus. And so, Father, as we come before you to the end of a series that I hope honors you, and I hope help people in their relationship with Jesus, we want to ask that you forever be glorified. And that people who don't know Jesus will come to Jesus. And that those of us who follow Jesus in this culture will have the tools and the means and the ability to love the people of the world. To engage them and never embrace them. And to share with them the tr truth of Christ. Help us, Father, have forever faith. Help us, Father, follow Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?